The Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Thank you, Chris and Alex. As we uh, start this morning, let's uh, pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you that it is good. And we pray this morning as we look at this uh, next part of 1 Thessalonians that you may help us to have our hearts lifted up to you to see you more clearly and long to live for you more nearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So how ought we to live? It's a question which I'm I'm sure many of us ask ourselves all the time. Uh, How should we live in light of uh, being a Christian? uh, What does that mean? How is it played out in a day-to-day setting? How ought we to live? Now, if you've been with us as we've journeyed through 1 Thessalonians, you'd have seen that uh, Paul's uh, addressing a church who he's really thankful for. Uh, They're a church that loves Jesus, that's following Jesus, uh, that's growing in life and love and faith. Uh, And now he he comes and says, I'm so thankful for you. Now keep going. Uh, This is how you ought to live. And he moves on in the rest of chapter four. But just before we dive into this, it's always worth remembering that any time we look at uh, a commandment or a a question about how we ought to live, the thing that comes first is always the Lord's loving kindness and compassion. So, for example, you may remember the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Well, before we get the, the list of Ten Commandments, we get these words. Uh, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, before I'm going to tell you uh, how to live, I'm going to remind you that I saved you. I love you. I brought you out of slavery. And so now live like this. Or, or even looking at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters... Loved by God, chosen 
by God. And see, right off the bat, we're reminded that God's love is not dependent upon our performance. God's grace and favor to each one of us is the, the prime mover. The thing that comes first. He makes the move towards us before we ever make any moves towards him. We sit here this morning as Christians because Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, looked upon our helpless state and entered our world and rescued us from the clutches of sin, death and hell and brought us into his family. That's who we are. And now Paul's going to say, that's who you are, so live in it. And that's the first thing that we see uh, from verses 1 and 2. Live to please God. Live to please God. I don't know how familiar you are with the the Harry Potter series of books, or the films indeed. Uh, Well, in the first book, uh, The Philosopher's Stone, right toward the end, there's a moment uh, that you don't get in the film, they've cut it. Um, But there's a bit from the books uh, where Harry's in the hospital wing and he's speaking to Dumbledore. um, And there's just a line that Dumbledore says, which is just a a fantastic observation of J.K. Rowling, the author. Uh, And he says this. He says that the trouble is humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worst for them. The trouble is humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things that is worst for them. Now, sometimes we see that in small decisions, don't we? So, for example, if I had the choice between an orange and a Terry's chocolate orange, well... Every day of the week, I'm going to eat them in one sitting, and it's going to be the Terry's chocolate orange, just straight off. And that's a silly example, isn't it? You know, a, a choice that's bad for me and, and it's not good. But but we see it in bigger uh, bigger circles too, don't we? Uh, choices that are bad for us. And so why is it that that when we have a group of people together, it never really takes that long, does it? For there to be sadness and strife to emerge. It's because we have a habit of choosing what is worst. Why is it that there are so many broken marriages? Because we have a habit of choosing what is worst. Why is it there are so many news headlines about promises broken and lies and deceit? It's because we have a habit of choosing what is worst. Because left to our own devices, we have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worse for us. And not simply us, but for everyone else. That might be from our own intuition, or it might be, as Don was telling us earlier, following the crowd. Which is why... We need verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. We instructed you. We told you. This is not sort of some good advice he's going to give. It's not like, oh, you should probably try and change your toothbrush every three months. No, this is 
words to live by. And indeed, again, later in verse one, uh, this is Paul saying, I ask and I urge you to do them. Uh, this is not just a one-off thing. It's something to do all the time. It's not simply saying, I, I ask and urge you to, to get vaccinated if there's a, sort of a one-off thing you've got to do. No, it's just, it's just I ask and urge you to get vaccinated, to keep washing your hands, to do all you can. And to do it, verse one, more and more, more and more, to keep doing it more and more. And then he adds more weight in verse two. He says, for we know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Uh, These words here are, are not simply Paul's best tips. It's the divine wisdom, the divine authority of the Lord God himself. Humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worse for them. So listen to Jesus. Choose to listen to him and do what he says more and more. But what is that? Well, first part of verse three. Be holy. Live differently. Be holy. Live differently. Uh, And what does that mean? Verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. But what does that word sanctified mean? Well, uh, sanctified means to make holy. What does the word holy mean? Uh, Holy means to be set apart. Uh, So we might say that, that that it is God's will that we be in the process of being set apart. But set apart from what to what? Well, well, set apart from the world to God. Constantly, uh, as we read through the Bible, we hear this call that God says to his people, be holy just as your father in heaven is holy. You're part of my family, so live like my family. Be set apart, live differently, live rightly. And being a Christian is all about that process of becoming more like God. Not in his power, but his purity. Representing more of his character. And again, at this point, we must remind ourselves of where we started. Our sanctification, the process of becoming more like God, does not make us a Christian. Uh, No, God does that when he justifies us, Uh, when he sent his son, Jesus, to die upon the cross. That is our justification. So how do those two things match up? How does our our justification, the status that God has declared to us right, that makes us Christians, and our sanctification, the process of becoming more like God, uh, how do those two match up? Well, imagine this uh, little illustration. There's a, a couple that want to adopt a child. Now, this child is uh, rowdy and raucous and rebellious. Uh, They're just an absolute terror. Uh, They destroy the house. They say awful things to everybody. uh, And they just make life really difficult. But yet on the day that the parents and the child go to court 
they stand before the judge and the declarations are made. Uh, that child, however they act, however they are, is declared to be part of the family. They're made rights into the family. No matter what they've done, they're part of the family. But then imagine that over time, both the parents and the child just notice the child's sort of edges are being softened a little bit. That They're not quite as rowdy as they were, not quite as rebellious. And in fact, the child notices he's starting to take on the, the traits of the parents, which is a really good thing. And over time, he becomes more and more into the image of the family he's been born into. Well, in the same way, God legally declares us his rowdy, rebellious, raucous people forgiven because of Jesus Christ. We are brought into his family, made his own, justified, forgiven. But God loves us too much to leave us like that. So as part of his family, as we spend time with him, as he indwells us by his spirit, we begin to take on the family traits. Our edges are softened a bit. And we become more and more sanctified like him. And then here Paul says, it is God's will that you become sanctified. It's as if he highlights it, underlines it, writes it in neon lights. This is what God wants for you to do. It's a process. It's about becoming more like him. And because it's a process, it means there'll be success and failures. It means it will be hard. Because being set apart, living holy in a world that doesn't want necessarily to do that is tough. That's why there is even a book that we're recommending called Being the Bad Guys. But it's what God wants us to do. There are no caveats. It's what he wants all Christians to do. No matter if we're young, old, rich or poor, male or female. It is God's will that we become sanctified. Part of Because we are part of his family. He secured our justification and nothing can change that. But he calls us now to become, or rather um, to follow in his image. Not because he likes the sound of his own voice, but actually because becoming more like God is becoming more like love itself. Be holy. Live differently. It is God's will. You should be sanctified. But where does Paul land this? Where does he land this? Well, he says, live differently in the way you use your body sexually. And that's the rest of our passage this morning. Live differently in the way you use your body sexually. As we said here, Paul is speaking with the authority of the Lord Jesus and he, he does not mix his words. Indeed, he says at the end of our reading in verse eight, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He's being absolutely clear of us. And what does he say? Verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. 
you should avoid sexual immorality. Uh, justification because of Jesus, we've been made right with God. And at this point, it, I, I want to remind myself as to all to say that, that it is God who justifies. We were forgiven when we were still dead in sins. There are things in our past that we wish weren't there. There are things in our heads today we wish weren't there. Jesus knows. And he says, I forgive. The gospel is true. It's hope for the hopeless. And comfort for the broken. But now... He also says, become more like me. It is a process and we do that more and more. And it may be as we keep going for this morning, there are certain areas where we feel the Lord's hand upon our hearts. And that's fine. In fact, that is good. Because the devil will whisper saying, you can't think like that. You can't do that. You can't be a Christian and have those things. But the Lord Jesus declares saying, I have set free those who are bound. I have forgiven those who are mine. The cross declares that we are free. So let's follow after him. Let's avoid sexual morality. But what is um, sexual immorality? Well, here's my best stab at a definition. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual action that takes place outside of a heterosexual marriage and that does not have consent or harms the well-being of others. Let me say that again. Sexual morality is any kind of sexual action that takes place outside of a heterosexual marriage that does not have consent or harms the well-being of others. That's far from a perfect definition. But I hope you can see it covers a broad category. Of those who are married and not. And even the way we may behave in our marriages. So where does that hit home for you? Where's the Lord's hand upon you? Where have we failed in this area? Where do we need to ask the Lord's forgiveness? For past or present sins how does it impact the way that maybe we're dating or acting with those we're not married to the Lord says avoid sexual morality how does it impact the way that we interact with others, work colleagues friends at the social club now we know it's not physical but How would my spouse feel about it if they really knew what I was thinking? Avoid sexual immorality. Maybe your choice of television programs. Maybe you watch Bridgertown and it's not because of the acting. Avoid sexual morality. Maybe having your phone next to your bed late at night isn't the best idea. Avoid sexual morality. Where is it that the, the Lord's finger is placed upon you? 
Remember what I said before, uh, becoming holy is like becoming like God, which is becoming like love itself. So I don't simply want to stand up here and say, no, no, no. But actually, by rather avoiding sexuality, we're, we're not simply moving away from something, we're going towards something else. We're going toward love itself. We're going toward affirming a real picture of genuine sexual intimacy. And that is the, the loving and faithful picture that is represented here. That is the picture, if you were with us uh, on Thursday night when Nick McQuaker was speaking about marriage, that he was uh, just showing us that, that marriage is a good picture of the, the naked and no shame that once existed in the Garden of Eden. And just like our relation with Father God, it, it ought to be a safe space which grows into an increasingly beautiful picture. And this is the message we have to pass on as well. Not simply don't do that, although we need to say that, but the retelling of a better story of a story of sexuality which is beautiful. We need to pass that message on to our children. Because if we don't, the culture will certainly tell them something different. As I said, much more could be said. But thankfully we've got a series at the moment in God's providence. That's looking just exactly at these matters. So please catch up and please keep coming uh, along with them. It is God's will that we should uh, avoid sexuality because it is God's will, verse 4, that each of us should learn to control your own body. Uh, We are not the product of gut and groin. We can control ourselves. Uh, And we need to learn to do that, to discipline ourselves, just like an athlete disciplines himself for training. We need to be those that put the hard work in. Now, in Paul's day, the temptations were obvious. Men in particular uh, would have a wife for legitimate children. They'd have a concubine for company, uh, and they would sleep with prostitutes for pleasure. That was just the culture that was accepted in the day. It was the norm. And indeed, actually, about 10 years or so after this letter was written, uh, those sexual freedoms were expanded to women as well. But Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, not you, not you, you live differently, live differently. You are to be set apart. You are to be holy. And in a culture today, which really is not that different, which is just as sex obsessed, Paul says to us, control your bodies. Not like those around you, verse five. Uh, Control yourself so that you can love others in the church, verse 6, and not use them as objects to be used, but as family to be loved. Control yourself because, verse 6, again, sexual sin is really serious. And if we're always in the habit of committing it, do we really know God? Are we part of God's family? Control yourself because, verse 7, God has called you to be set apart and holy, just like God himself. Where does this hit home for you?
Paul is saying, living a life that pleases God and to do that more and more. And then he homes in and looks at that and applies it um, to the way we use our bodies sexually. But what, what might that look like then to control ourselves today? How, how can we help? How can we do that more and more? Well, one thing is to, to know our bodies, to know what we're like. What impact does tiredness have upon you? Or if you're really hungry, or if you're feeling down. To know the relationship between our, our physical well-being and our mental and our spiritual, they all interact each other. And so be prepared for that and to know that so that we can be prepared when it comes. Or, or for instance, with the introduction of smartphones and streaming services and all the good technology at our disposal to enable far more secrecy from looking at movies to TV shows, newspapers to uh, articles to outright pornography. How, what do we have to do to control ourselves? Do we uh, need to put our phone to bed before we put ourselves to bed? Where is it the Lord is putting his finger? What, what might it mean for each one of us to live a life of the Lord more and more, and especially in this area? But just as we draw to a close, let me end where we started. What is your overriding response to this message this morning? Maybe it's one of shame. If that's you, remember the gospel. Jesus, tender, who never looks down on anyone in disgust or despair, loved you to go to the cross for you, to set you free. And because of that, we can talk the Lord in his kindness has given us each other, brothers and sisters, made right by the same God, so we can ask for help. It might be a spouse. It, it might be someone in a small group. It might be something completely different, but we can talk because the shame has gone. Don't let it take a hold of you. But maybe at the other extreme, maybe... Your response is apathy. You've heard this before. If that's you, remember the gospel. Jesus had to die for our sin. He had to die for our sin. We should never be apathetic about these things. Rather, we should say, Lord, help me to live for you more and more. Each day. So how are we to live? We should live to please God more and more. Living differently. Living with him as our focus. Sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> but I think we know it's not. And so we need to pray. The Lord would help us to do that each day more and more. So let's pray now. Loving Father God, we thank you that you are a God who first came to us, who first moved towards us. 
to save us and set us free from sin. Help us now in light of that great love to move toward you, to become more like you, to do that more and more. And we pray that especially as we look at this issue of sexual morality, that you may help us to to leave it, to abandon it, to run away from it. To follow after you, knowing that we will never regret that decision. Because as we move toward you, we move toward the center of life and love. Help us to have the power to make the decisions today. To speak to people today if we need to. To follow after you today. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.